guardian angels, and patron saints. Pray for us. Yesterday, we just celebrated the Feast of the Guardian Angels, Saturday, October 2nd. Each year, we honor them in particular, dedicate a day uh, to be particularly attentive. But, of course, I like to invoke them at, at every Mass, acknowledging that each person has a unique, a unique angel that's been commanded by God to watch over, protect, and intercede for us as we go about our earthly pilgrimage to heaven. A unique angel... Each of us has our own. They don't get recycled. Each of us, each unique human life, has a pure spirit to to whom we are entrusted. These angels are a manifestation to us of God's love and attention to the preciousness of every single person, every life. So it's only fitting that we acknowledge them as we do each homily here, but also here on this day in which we honor and respect life here in this month of October. Respecting life is a big thing. It's a broad, all-encompassing reality that gets at the heart of who we are as human beings. We as human beings arise out of families. We believe that the basic building block of our society isn't individual people, like atoms. We believe the basic building block of society is a family, something more like a molecule, a set of bonds that hold us together in relationship. Each of us is the result, in other words, of a bond, a one flesh union of our mother and father. That's something every human being that's ever existed shares in common. We are, in other words, the result of a set of bonds. We are the result of love. This is God's plan for humanity. This is, this is what he speaks of in our readings in the book of Genesis and Jesus' re- refreshment of that, of that commandment and that reality. That This love is the cradle of life. And what God has joined together, Jesus says, no human being must separate. Now, we can obviously apply that to the particular question of divorce that Jesus is answering, but I'd like to broaden our understanding of that and take that principle and apply it to another area that's very important, very much related to the questions that we are addressing here and now. What God has joined together, let no human being separate. We believe as Catholics that within the covenant of marriage, there are two dimensions union and procreation the one flesh union of husband and wife and the procreation of new life these two are inseparable when we separate them or attempt to separate them we sow the seeds of our distress deeply and abundantly what God has joined let no human being separate. Imagine standing on a bridge over a broad stream, beautiful setting, tree-lined, clear water below you. You stand on the bridge looking down, admiring the pebbles and rocks through the clear water, catching glimpses of trout or maybe catfish 
probably not catfish. The water would have to be too muddy for that. But enjoying this beautiful vision of a stream, a calm, peaceful autumn day, and you start to see the water darken and muddy, and you start to see pieces of debris floating down through the water. Then you start seeing not just branches and twigs, but now pieces of roofs, a door. Soon, as you look up river, you see someone floating down the river, calling for help, holding on to a, a broken tree limb. And you run down to the edge of the bridge and you come back down, you climb down the edge, uh, down into the stream, and you, you reach out a branch to grab them and then pull them back into the bank to safety. And then no sooner does that person cough up their wa the water that they've, that they've breathed in, then you hear another one calling for help. You help them, then one after another, more and more amid the debris come people crying for help. And it's just you. You can't believe what's going on. You, you, you strip off your clothes and you dive in to try to swim out and pull people in. They're coming in groups now, hour after hour, but soon you're so exhausted that you just throw yourself down on the bank in hopes that you, can, that you can survive a little while longer to help. And there, as you lay there, helpless, exhausted, you ask yourself, what is going on? What happened up there? This is our situation as a culture. This is the situation in which you and I live. Lives being swept downstream, but no one asking, what was the start of all this? Yes, here in our time and place, we do everything that we can to reach out and extend a helping hand to people in need, people who are crying for help. Yes, absolutely. That's our duty. But so too, we have a right to ask those deeper questions even as we dedicate ourselves more and more generously to the service of the people around us, those who are dedicated to charitable service, to saving lives. A beautiful example of that being right here on our own campus, the Wyandotte Pregnancy Clinic. How many lives have been saved by the work that those good women do? But so too, we have the right to ask the question, what has been happening that led to this disaster in the first place? And that's what I'd like to focus on and speak just briefly about today. This is the point that the church has been making for the last 50 years. Pay attention, look upstream. When we separate the one flesh union of man and woman from its natural God-given ordered goal of new life, we sow the seeds of our own distress and destruction. That, brothers and sisters, is the disaster upstream that's causing so much turmoil, so much misery, so much loss of innocent life. In 1968, Pope Paul VI, he predicted all of this in his encyclical letter, 
Humanae Vitae. In that letter, he authoritatively taught that artificial methods of preventing birth are contrary to God's plan for marriage and family life. That contraception, sterilization, these are grave sins. That teaching still stands. Unfortunately, it's been almost completely ignored. At the time when it was released, in 1968, the only people who paid attention to it were those who wanted to mock the church, this retrograde institution, this old-fashioned, re reactive, just anti-progress group of old men that dug in their heels and won't get on board with progress. Almost everyone else just ignored it and moved on with their lives, including those inside the church. It was met with either apathy or open dissent. But what, our, what that Holy Father, Pope Paul VI, now canonized as a saint, what he had to say was prophetic, and everything that he had to say has come true. And I'd like to read to you just a few excerpts from that letter. If you've not read it yourself, I encourage you to do so. Anyone can Google Humana Vitae and read, read that short letter in full. In the context of this teaching, he, he articulated, what, what is marriage? How, could, how can we decide about this question of whether or not it's okay to contracept without understanding what marriage really is? And he outlined certain characteristics that marriage must have in order to be true marriage. He said, first of all, it must be free. Human love can't be compelled. It can't be forced. It has to come out of a place of freedom where in mastery over myself, I give myself to another. He says, human love is an act of the free will whose trust is such that it is meant not only to survive the joys and sorrows of daily life, but also to grow so that husband and wife become in a way one heart and one soul and together attain their human fulfillment. What a beautiful interpretation of those words of, Jesus, of the opening reading today of the book of Genesis. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So too, in addition to being a free gift, it must be total. It must encompass all of life. He says, this love is total. It, it is a special form of personal friendship in which husband and wife generously share everything, allowing no unreasonable exceptions and not, and not thinking solely of their own convenience. Whoever really loves his partner loves not only for what he receives, but loves that partner for their own sake, content to be able to enrich that other person with the gift of himself. So married love is free. It's total. So too it's faithful. Meaning it excludes everyone else. And this until death. This is how husband and wife understood it on the day on which, fully aware of what they were doing, they freely vowed themselves to one another in marriage. This fidelity of husband and wife sometimes presents difficulties. It is true, but no one has the right to assert that it's impossible. 
It is, on the contrary, always honorable and meritorious. The example of countless married couples proves not only that fidelity is in accord with the nature of marriage, but also that it is the source of profound and enduring happiness. Can I get an amen? Finally, Pope Paul VI teaches us, based in the scriptures and the perennial teaching of the church, that this love, this married gift of love, is fruitful. It is not simply the union of hearts and bodies. It also goes beyond this to bring new life into being. Marriage and married love are by their nature ordained toward the procreation and education of children who are the supreme gift of marriage and contribute in the highest degree to their parents' welfare. These are the pillars of married love, freedom, totality, faithfulness, and fruitfulness. Take away one, and the whole thing collapses. Paul VI predicted what would happen if we attempted to separate human sexuality from procreation and the marriage covenant. He gave several consequences, and I'll just outline two of them. The first is how easily, how easily this course of action, the almost universal use of artificial methods of preventing birth, will open wide the way for marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards. Those of us who have been around for more than a few decades can remember what it was like to live in a culture that had higher moral standards. Not just the sorts of things you could or could not hear on the radio or see on television, but the general way of going about our lives, the sorts of things that we aspired to, the sacrifices that we were willing to make. We who are younger, we don't know anything different than what we grew up with. Everyone going their own way, the broken homes, the abuse and neglect of children, the devastation of divorce, these ripple effects, these are the lives being swept downstream that we feel helpless to save. This general opening of the way towards marital infidelity and the general lowering of moral standards also has another effect. We, human beings, we need help to live well. We need help to live moral lives. And when those braces, when those supports, those props are taken away, we, especially the young, who are exposed even more intensely to temptation, we discover we need these incentives to keep the moral law. And it's an evil thing to take them away. It's an evil thing to make it easy for people to break that moral law. And so we've done. Of course, before these artificial methods were developed, before these technology, technologies became so widespread, what was the greatest discouragement to staying chaste before marriage? The almost, well, the great likelihood 
that a child could be born. Now, we take it as a matter of course that of course, well, no, of course not. This doesn't lead to to children, and if it does, we're shocked. Think of how strange that is. And if one does happen to be born, there's always a clinic to take care of the problem. There's always a backup. And that's the sign that we've lost our moorings. That's the sign that we no longer respect life. Now, we can throw away something that is an inconvenience to us. Contraception, it incentivizes a lack of self-control. The other effect that the Holy Father pointed out that has absolutely come true and been verified in our culture today is that a man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptives, well, he may forget the reverence due to a woman. Disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium, reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires, no longer considering her as his partner whom he should surround with care and affection. Try talking to the young women looking for a husband these days. Hear their frustration and their despair, who give up after years of enduring the wasteland of the modern dating scene. I've spent hundreds of hours of my life counseling these young women over the wounds that they've sustained, over the disappointments that they're carrying at the hands of the young man who who couldn't be a good husband if they wanted to be. Look what we've done. Look what we've created. The marriage market has been completely devastated by the fact that a young man can say to a young woman, if you won't give me what I want, I'll go find someone who will. It's in the name of empowering women has rendered them slaves. Everything that Paul VI had to say has come true. So we need to go back and pay attention to what he said. What was his teaching? Because I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't want to see a raising of moral standards, a return to decency, a return to reverence towards women, and striving for a beautiful family, something that maybe we took for granted when we were young, but that seems to recede from our grasp now and produce despair, especially in the young. What we're looking for is still possible. It is. But it comes at a cost. It means changing. It means becoming obedient in faith and in trust to this teaching of our Holy Mother, the Church. It means heading upstream to recognize that the source of our present troubles needs to be fixed elsewhere. We have to repent as a society and maybe even as individuals of a sin that has become so common as to make the alternative unthinkable and even laughable. What? Not not using birth control? (laughs) What are you talking about? Talking about the truth. Talking about 
what marriage actually is. Free, total, faithful, and fruitful. It's not laughable. People do live out this teaching. It's the key to everything that we long for in our families, for our children, and for our grandchildren. It's possible to live this out. Many people do. They're grateful for the difficulty that it involves, but the truth that it reveals. Just as one particular example in the realm of statistics, do you know the divorce rate for the general population, including Catholics? We, we just poll broadly how many people get married and then get divorced. The rate is about 50% of all marriages end in divorce. But if you poll the number of people who practice the church's teaching, who live out marriage, however imperfectly, as what God has brought together, do you know the rate of divorce? It's 2%. 2%. Whether we're married or not, whether we're of childbearing age or not, We have to pray that the beauty of this teaching again finds faithful men and women right here to live it out, to be courageous, to put out into the deep and try trusting God in a radical way. People who choose to keep together what God has joined, to embrace his plan for marriage and family. And we need to be encouraged that the message of mercy that's calling to us, calling us back, It's never been withdrawn. Not since the precious blood of Christ poured from his side on the cross to wash us clean and to reconcile us to the Father. So we pray together today in this special day, recognizing God's attentive love, the presence of his angels, the teaching of of the successor of Peter. Yes, I believe what God has joined, may not one of us separate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.